Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach into the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Andrew Atherstone to the podcast. Dr. Atherstone serves as Latimer Research Fellow at Wycliffe Hall, part of the University of Oxford in England. He's an accomplished author with multiple publications, including his editorial work on the, autobi- the autobiography of J.C. Ryle entitled Bishop J.C. Ryle's Autobiography, The Early Years. He's currently writing on Ryle for Crossways Christian Life series as well. Dr. Atherstone, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Yeah, listen, look, I've been looking forward to this for a number of days now, and um, I think many of us in ministry um, were acquainted in our early years in ministry with Ryle's famous book, Thoughts for Young Men. And uh, I grew up in a Christian home, but uh, did not come to personal faith in Christ until my college years, and shortly thereafter was given a copy of that book, and that uh, prompted within me not just appreciation for the book and for Ryle, but a broader interest in his life and ministry. And so uh, I, I appreciate your appreciation of Ryle, and I appreciate your interest of his life and ministry and the opportunity to have this conversation today about the life and ministry of J.C. Ryle. The project itself that we are building the conversation on today, Ryle's autobiography, uh, tell us about that. Like, what led you to undertake that, that revision and, and that, that editing work of it? Ryle's autobiography has been um, in circulation in a form for the last um, 40 or 50 years or so. Um, but the manuscript copy was assumed to be lost. Um, and I actually was reading Ian Murray's um, excellent biography of, of Ryle from the, the Banner of Truth Trust um, and, and reading this, and he quotes quite a lot from the autobiography, um, but noticing that the manuscript is gone. And so I just set myself the challenge, uh, wh- where is this text? Let's see if we can actually find uh, Ryle's own text. Um, and so did did some digging, uh, traced his family tree, tried to find his descendants, had a few dead ends, um, and then eventually uh, the actual manuscript appeared uh, in a box um, in Hampshire, in the south of England, uh, with uh, Ryle's uh, great-great-grandchildren. Um, and they, they didn't even know what they had. Um, it was kind of amongst amongst the, the archives, uh, not looked at very often. And so it was like hidden treasure when you come across it. Uh, there is this text. And, and you discover that the version in print um, has multitudes of areas. It's a copy of a copy of a copy. Um, and obviously, as a historian, I love to go back to the source that's right <laughs> to the original archive um so what what you what you can see in the, the edition of his autobiography is the edition of the original manuscript um and that has all sorts of of new details about his life that, that come forth he wrote it really uh, in his in his mid 50s uh initially designed for his children just really n- narrating um his his life story to that stage and how he came to faith in Christ uh, his early ups and downs in uh, in local church ministry. Uh, it's a, a really interesting text. Yeah, look, I love the story of how you discovered it. So I have to ask, where is it now? Is it back in that box uh, with the family? Or is it placed on display somewhere or, or what came of it? No, it's it's still with the family. So still in the private archive. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of other projects rolling on. So one of the things that Ryle uh, did in his ministry, we know him very well for his books and his tracts, but he was an amazing letter writer. Um, and he wrote hundreds of letters, um, often to the newspapers, using pseudonyms. Um, and so I've been identifying his his pseudonyms 
and collecting all his letters, um, which are, you know, typically punchy, very practical, very down to earth. Um, and hopefully those will come out in a follow up volume in the next couple of years. Well, letter writing these days seems to be a lost art. And so I know the exhilaration of finding and reviewing and studying old letters. Uh, you know, similarly here, we have the Spurgeon Library, and we were able to, a few years ago to get reconnected with Spurgeon's heirs, and they've been generous to us donating to the seminary, uh, literally scores of items for our archives here, and uh, also a very sweet, godly, Christ-honoring, Christ-following family. I, I'm, I have to ask, not to put you on the spot, but but what do Ryle's heirs know of J.C. Ryle? Are they aware of his ministry? Do they resonate with his convictions? Uh, what can you tell us? Uh, I I don't know. Our conversations didn't get onto those themes, um, but the, uh, the 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 current owner of the text um, is uh, part of the the German uh, branch of the family now, and he's called uh, Johannes Karl, um, named after John Charles Ryle, mm-hmm. um, this this famous uh, Episcopal heir. Well, listen for our listeners who are not familiar with J. C. Ryle. Give us the broad overview of his life and ministry and, and why they should familiarize themselves with his work. Well, in, in summary, he was uh, raised in a very wealthy family, uh, a, a church-going family. He sat under preaching uh, right throughout his youth, uh, enforced church-going uh, through the, the school that he was at, for example. Uh, but it wasn't until he was 21 years old as an undergraduate at the University of Oxford that he had uh, a, a personal conviction of the need to put his faith in Christ. Uh, he was in church one day hearing uh, the book of Ephesians being read um, about being saved by grace alone, uh, not by not by his own works. And this this particular word, he says he remembers nothing of the sermon that day. He just remembers the way in which the word of God was read. Um, and that encounter with Ephesians 2 uh, put, uh, convicts, convicted him of his need to, to, to put his faith in Christ in a personal way. Um, and so his life was transformed from that point onwards. His, his father was a member of the British Parliament, uh, was a very wealthy banker. Uh, so uh, an influential family. And uh, young Ryle, uh, I mean, the, the, the bank did go bankrupt. That's, a, that's another story. But decides to turn his back on a career in politics and instead... Uh, become a preacher. Um, and most of his life, it was just in little congregations uh, down in Hampshire in the New Forest, um, and then a couple of village congregations up in, up in Suffolk on the east coast of England. So preaching to agricultural labourers, uh, he'd had a long day in the fields, um, and uh, having to keep their attention in the pulpit. And then uh, when he was 64, 65, I suppose the sort of age that many of us think of retiring and, and hanging up our boots in terms of uh, full-time ministry, uh, he was appointed to a brand new sphere as the first bishop of the Diocese of Liverpool, a uh, giant area with uh, w- one million inhabitants. Um, he, he'd had a village of 2,000 inhabitants. Uh, now he had a million uh, as, the, as the mission fields. Um, and so uh, for, for 20 years, into his mid-80s, he carried on the ministry of church planting, raising up new preachers, uh, encouraging the diocese to be a, a missionary diocese. So, and remind us, our listeners, roughly when was he born? When did he die? Uh, he was born in 1816, um, and he died in 1900. So his his adult years really were right throughout the reign of Queen Victoria. That's right. I was about to say, he, yeah, 
throughout the reign of Queen Victoria. So you've told us a little bit about the broad contours of his life and work. I guess what about him, his preaching, his writing, made him compelling then and makes him still compelling? It's a combination of his uh, theological conviction and his uh, clarity of communication. Um, and put those two things together, and I think you've got a, a wonderful combination. Uh, so he is uh, thoroughly uh, Bible-rooted, Christ-glorifying uh, in his teaching. This comes over again and again and again in the, in the things that he's saying. He has a, a very strong evangelistic heartbeat. Uh, he, he wants people to come to Christ, to renew their faith in Christ, to grow in holiness. Uh, those are reiterated themes in his teaching. Um, and so he, he won't put up with um, uh, doct- doctrinal fog uh, and those who think that there aren't particular things a preacher needs to say, uh, nor will he put up with uh, growing ceremonialism uh, in the church, uh, a sort of institutionalization. He, he wants uh, personal faith in Jesus Christ is, is the key thing. Um, that comes over in, uh, in all his ministry. And then you combine that with uh, wonderful vigor and clarity of communication. Uh, th- there's not an awful lot of Victorian preachers that you can pull off the bookshelf today, um, and they, they they speak with liveliness. You know, most Victorian sermons you have to dust down, um, and you can only find them in the basement of the library. But Ryle is so energetic uh, in the way that he he writes because he he really writes as he speaks. So when he's when he's writing to you, it's as if he's speaking to those agricultural laborers in his Suffolk village, and he's trying to wake them up, he's trying to grab them with the gospel, um, and, and that still comes over in, uh, in, in, in the prose, um, in, the, in the illustrations that he's using, uh, in the short, sharp, short, sharp sentences, um, and the, uh, the wonderful way in which he puts it. So I want to tee you up to speak for a moment on the two books that seem to me to be the most enduring and the most recognizable, Thoughts for Young Men and, and Holiness. And uh, tell us about those two books, uh, what prompted them, uh, why they're so enduring. Um, give us a sense of, of those works. One of the key things to know about Ryle is that he uh, never wrote a book as such. He never set out to write a book. He was a tract writer. That was his, that was his, his art form, really. So it's the 6,000-word it's the exhortation. Um, and uh, many of those tracts began as uh, local ministry to his own congregation. Um, every new year, for example, he would write a tract and deliver it around the whole village. Um, and uh, then uh, occasionally um, he would think, well, I've, I've now got 12 tracts on a subject. Uh, let, let me bring them together and publish them as a volume. So uh, Thoughts on Young Men uh, begins that way. It's it's lots of addresses to young people uh, in his context, and then he, he brings them together as a volume. Um, li- likewise, holiness. Uh, in the 1870s, there are uh, new teaching beginning to emerge, very popular, um, f- uh, associated with uh, the, the higher life Christian advocates. Um, American teachers uh, like um, Hannah Whittle Smith, uh, for example, her, her book in the mid 1870s, uh, the, the Christian's uh, Secret of a Happy Life, um, and uh, she she basically argues in that book that uh, the way to holiness is just let God do it. 
there, there shouldn't be any sense of struggle against sin. There shouldn't be any need to fight against temptation um, or, or godlessness. Just uh, let, let go of those things and let God do it. Um, very popular teaching in the 1870s. And Ryle is reading his Bible. <laughs> yeah, to be clear, you're referring to the Keswick movement. Was this the same thing you're referring to? Uh, yes. So um, Keswick is, is one of the places that it becomes um, particularly popular. Um, so uh, Robert Purcell Smith and Hannah Whittle Smith are um, American traveling itinerant preachers. Um, and they come over to England in the 1870s um, and they uh, do big events in Brighton on the South Coast, in Oxford, um, and get a following around them. And then uh, an annual event begins at, at Keswick in the Lake District. Um, so Ryle, again, I mean, to... to, to uh, to summarise the story, he, he thinks, I've got 12 tracts I've written over the years about godliness and holiness. I'm going to bring them together in a book. Um, and that's that's what you have when, you, when you're reading his, his volume. Not designed as a book. It's designed as just punchy preaching. So when you think about the great preachers, and not just the great preachers, but let's say the, the ministers of influence in Victorian Britain, obviously Spurgeon stands out. Uh, perhaps as the leading figure, uh, where does Ryle rank in that assessment? Uh, Ryle has certainly endured um, in a way in which um, Spurgeon has endured. There's, there's not many other Victorian preachers that you can name who are still being read um, and, and still being read with, with great benefit. So uh, e- even in their own day, they drew crowds. They knew each other. Uh, they're obviously in different church circles. Ryle is in the established church of the Church of England. Uh, he's an he's a Oxford-educated um, cleric. You know, Spurgeon is is in a different circle within the um, the, the Baptist networks. Uh, friends and allies together. I mean, but, um, Spurgeon used to rib Ryle a lot and and say to him, um, "If you are putting your convictions really into practice, you ought to come out of the Church of England, come over and join us amongst the Baptists." Um, so they, they sparred a little bit, but they had a huge deal in common. Um, and one of the things they had in common was simple, straightforward preaching. Uh, so uh, Ryle speaks a lot about just using plain old Anglo-Saxon in the way in which you communicate the gospel. Um, and it's it's exactly the same with uh, with Spurgeon, plain old Anglo-Saxon. And if you if you read Spurgeon's exhortations on that topic. So Ryle, when he left university, uh, he'd been listening to university sermons, which were very polished rhetoric, uh, which had a particular emphasis on on cadence and quotation. uh, And he thought, this is the way to preach. Uh, Turned up in a little farming community, and they all went to sleep on a Sunday morning. In fact, some of the farmers said to him, "Uh, church on a Sunday is the best hour of the week because we can put our boots up and snooze. Um, and uh, it, therefore, his, his, his new motto was, um, I, I vowed to sacrifice my style and become plain John Ryle. Mm. So he said, away, away with that university rhetoric, just grab the congregation in front of you. And I, I think Ryle and Spurgeon um, stand out as, as mountains amongst the, the Victorian preachers because of that. Many other very popular people in their day, but they're... Um, speaking to audiences which have disappeared, um, but they, they've endured because of that simplicity. So Raoul lived and ministered you know, well into his 80s. 
Give us a sense of what he dealt with. You know, Spurgeon is known, for instance, for dealing with the downgrade controversy for uh, throughout his ministry, advocating for sound doctrine, uh, for, for dealing with personal ailments like gout and Bright's disease and, and even depression. Um, what were Ryle's struggles? What confronted him in ways that called him to demonstrate courage and perhaps even heroism? Well, w- one of them was certainly the personal pain of family life. Uh, uh, which which he experienced for for very many years. Um, he was married three times. Uh, all his all his wives died in succession. Um, so his his first bride, um, they'd only been married uh, really a few months, and she developed very serious mental illness, um, psychotic episodes. Which are, are little understood today, but if you imagine in the eighteen forties, uh, really not understood at all. Um, and so that the pain of of needing to try and seek treatment to help her, he had to have time out of ministry uh, because of that sort of family care. Um, one of his uh, one of his children, he had um, he had an a, an infant who died at birth, uh, but his his oldest daughter again uh, suffered with with mental illness all her life. This has really only come up in the in the research I've been doing on the the autobiography, not known before, but she spent. Most of her life in, well, the Victorians called them lunatic asylums. You know, in um, in hospitals for for mental health care, and uh, the the pain of that in someone who's having to be on platforms, having to be enthusiastic, having to lead the troops, um, and yet back at home there are are those sorts of difficulties. Um, amongst his own children, uh, it's not clear how many of them followed him in evangelical faith. Um, certainly, his one of his daughters does, but one of his sons becomes a secularist, mm. um, joins the, 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 the movement of, of Thomas Huxley. So, um, again, just as a father and a husband, there's, there's that pain and the, and the pain of burying three wives. Um, when he looked back at Christian history, um, he would often look to someone like um, Henry Venn, who was a great evangelical preacher in Huddersfield in the 18th century. Great, one of the great evangelical revival preachers, um, who had similar family pain in his own life, and Ryle, Ryle identifies with him. So that's going that's going on in, in the background, similar to Spurgeon, you know, in some ways the the, the pains which are hidden from public view, um, and then there's just the the, the challenge of being um, a Bible believing Christian in public life, um, and going against the flow. Um, in, in Parliament, who was a member of the, the House of Lords, of course, as a, as a bishop in the Church of England, um, but also going against the flow in uh, the, the nature of the church. Um, lots of people, even in his own denomination at that stage, saying that, uh, that evangelical faith was, was for the past. You know, it ought to be left behind with John Wesley and George Whitfield. We don't need that for the, the, the modern age. Um, and uh, he was saying, no, the, the, the old gospel never changes. The old ways are, are the best. Um, that was that was a, a constant challenge. So let me try to pull this together with maybe a couple of final questions. Um, first, why should modern pastors in the year 2021 investigate Ryle, get to know him, and why should they prioritize his works to read and be edified by? I think, firstly, it will, it will stimulate you and invigorate you as a reader uh, to— to, to encounter his writings and, and immerse yourself in them. I find it impossible to read any of Ryle's tracts 
or any of the chapters in his, in his books without uh, just a, a sense of wanting to follow his example uh, in devotion to Christ and uh, renewal of prayer and uh, the importance of mission, those those sorts of things. So it, it, it's it's personally invigorating. Um, I think also as preachers, uh, it's a wonderful model and spur to us. Uh, you you read him on a particular text, and I'm I'm immediately thinking, I I want to preach that on Sunday. You know, I, 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 he's he's taken us there into its its importance. He's so sharp and practical in his application. Um, so there's there's lots of lots of lessons in again both theology and communication. Uh, the, the perfect combination. So, in if I just a follow up question, if one wants to uh, to avail themselves to Ralph's resources, what would you encourage them to read? Well, you've already mentioned two two excellent volumes. Uh, so, his his addresses to young men, uh, and uh, also his his role on uh, his his volume on holiness. Uh, so, that's a that's a great classic. Um, others that spring to mind: uh, his thoughts on the gospel. So, his devotional preaching through Matthew to John mm-hmm. um, make make really good um, personal Bible readings in in the mornings um, and uh, perhaps also I, I might highlight some of his historical pieces he he loved himself to get wisdom from the past for his own day so Ryle on the five English reformers yes um, for example um, or Ryle on the Christian leaders of the last century. Um, people like like Whitfield and Wesley. Well, Dr. Atherstone, I want to commend your work and uh, in editing this newly released book, Bishop J.C. Ryle's Autobiography, The Early Years, out with Banner of Truth. And uh, it's a great resource, and I want to commend it to our listeners. Thank you for joining me today on Preaching and Preachers. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.